Hello, and welcome to the Still to be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm Matt's older brother. I'm a writer, and I'll be asking the questions, and the answerer will be Matthew, and Matthew's going to say hello. Hello. Before we get into the episode, just a few reminders about ways you can support the podcast. You can, of course, just follow. You can subscribe. You can comment. You can share us with your friends. And you can also visit stilltbd.fm. There's a link on that page. You can throw some pennies in the jar. Any kind of support, whatever it is you're able to make, is appreciated. Now, some comments on our last episode. This, of course, was mold, mold, molds, molds. <laughs> you had fun with that title. <laughs> I did have fun with that title. <laughs> Sean Connor wrote, with mycelium stocks, I haven't found any. Are there any companies that you know of? I got that question a few times, even in email. And it's like, I don't, I don't know offhand. It's, um, right. I don't think there's any publicly traded that I know of. It may be a little bit in the offing. The technology may be too young. Mm -hmm. Rotten meat, interesting username, rotten meat wrote, still haven't heard anything about the allergen and toxicity concerns. Fungus doesn't have a good history of living next to animals. And that's quite a claim to make when your username is rotten meat. <laughs> but anyway it is a good question it is a good question and i wondered if you had any information about that is this a process where the baking effectively kills destroys it. any allergen aspect it is not alive it is an inert thing so it's it's not going to cause allergies um doesn't mean that if you try to eat it <laughs> you might not have reaction right but it's it's perfectly safe because it is dead, it's not growing, it's kind of a just a thing that's just going to be there. If it starts to so rot, it's use in packaging or a building, yeah. a building material, the anticipation is it's not going to be a problem. But Correct. as you said, if you're eating mycelium bacon, if you're allergic to certain types of fungus, Correct. there could, be, there could Correct. be a problem there. Yeah, if you're ingesting it in some fashion. Yeah. Right. Sebastian King wrote, one great thing they could do is give a percentage discount money back tax discount if you bring your own plastic bag to the shop. This is in response to our brief discussion about things like one of the ways that New York City and other places around the country and around the world have removed plastic waste is to actually make certain types of plastic packaging illegal. And here in the city, they did actually try something similar to a money back if you recycled bags and it just didn't work it's mm -hmm. they've tried programs like that and what ends up happening i think is a little bit comparable to what happens with like recyclable cans soda cans beer cans bottles and things like that here in the city in particular um people just start to incorporate the money that you would get back for returning those things as part of the cost. Mm -hmm. They stop interpreting it as an incentive to take the, these things back to the store and recycle them that way. And so they become a thing. And I do this myself. I just put it into a recycling bag or in some cases in places where recycling programs aren't as robust as they are here in the city, they just throw them away. And then mm -hmm. you end up with a secondary tier economy, which is people who go through your recycling and your garbage looking for those things that you yourself haven't taken back to the recycling centers. So 
a lot of those things do end up getting recycled, but the program isn't an enough incentive for the person who it's supposed to be, which is the consumer. It's mm-hmm. one of those places where Matt's pointing out in a couple of videos that making the producer of an item responsible for its recycling is effective yeah, and replacing products with more biodegradable products is effective, but the current system that we have in place isn't effective or efficient. Also, when you consider the recycling of those plastics doesn't actually, and you've talked about this before, doesn't happen, doesn't actually work, doesn't, doesn't actually happen. end up in new products. No, that's the, so. the recycling system is basically broken. And most of us don't recognize it because we put, we put our stuff in a recycling bin and then it gets taken away each week and we're like, yeah, I did my job. And it's like, yeah, but that's still ending up in a landfill because it's actually not getting recycled. Right. So it's, yeah. It's, it's in some levels just PR. It's a lot of PR. The plastics industry did a really good job with uh, the recycling stuff. Then a couple of quick comments on some of the tangential things that we talked about in the last episode. One of the things we touched on was the um, diamond industry. We talked about the basically the the diamond industry being a industry that appears to be hoarding a mm-hmm. thing that is not all that much rarer than other uh, materials, but by hoarding them, they're keeping the price jacked up. Yeah. And Hayes wrote, there's actually a warrant out for the De Beers arrest in the United States because they're considered a monopoly. So that's an interesting, interesting. Yeah. interesting bit on that. And then the final comment, which isn't about any of the content of our discussion, and it also will be a completely confusing comment to anybody who listens to us as a podcast only. <laughs> but Jacobus von Tander wrote, Sean, the lighting and video upgrade. It has been determined as massively better. And to our YouTube viewers, hey, yeah, hey, this is me on a better quality video and uh, and, and lighting rig. <laughs> and this is all the result of basically I I have benefited. It's probably been for twenty five years now yeah. from a brother who is the tech guy, and he just. Passes things on to me that I say, all right, this is mine now. (laughs) And Matt made the uh, very, very good observation when I recently purchased a new computer that my new computer, even though it's brand new and I was very excited to get it, very excited to start using it, had a piece of crap camera. So I would say it had a potato as a camera. (laughs) So he quickly jumped into action as tech guy and I started receiving Amazon packages with all sorts of equipment, which took me a little while to figure out. But once I did, <laughs> this is now my smiling face. So I do look better and, uh, and the lighting while I look fantastic generates a good bit of heat, <laughs> which here in, uh, early July in New York city, right at the it's end hot. of what has been one of the hottest weeks that we've had at the end of June and it's now hundred percent humidity. This light is basically slowly baking me. So <laughs> I 
hope all of our welcome, listeners welcome to my world yeah, sean yeah i hope <laughs> all of our listeners and our viewers <laughs> enjoy watching me slowly blister and then pass out pass let out. me just let me just say when i record an episode the air conditioning gets shut off and then i have i'm surrounded by basically like five lights mm-hmm. so i'm slowly like baking as i do an episode by the end of the episode <laughs> whoo boy <laughs> I'm surprised that I, you know, the coloring of your shirts that you've chosen is smart. Yeah. So that by the end of the video, you don't just have huge rings underneath your armpits. (laughs) So on to today's episode, and we're going to be taking a look at Matt's most recent episode, which was exploring modular homes. Cheapest path to net zero? Question mark. There it is. It's on June 29th, 2021. And before we talk about that, this is the episode that you posted this past week and then shortly thereafter you posted that you have now passed 500,000 subscribers on YouTube. Yeah. Which is bah. Yeah, <laughs> let me head, just say that's a boggling that. number of yeah. people to pay attention to you and uh congratulations. It's Thank well you. deserved. You've put a lot of work and and time and effort into your channel and along with I'm sure all of our subscribers, I can't imagine any of our subscribers are like, yeah, I don't need the main channel. I'm perfectly fine with them talking about something. I have no idea what they're referring to. Uh, all of our listeners, I'm sure are, are subscribers of your main channel. And I think that it's uh, a real testament to the effort and the work you've put into it. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's one of those 500,000 is a number. And then you have to remember there's a human being behind every single one of those numbers. And that's when my head just starts to go, wait, what? Yeah. Well, <laughs> keep is, in mind, this, this is, is the internet computer. we're talking about. So there may not, in fact, be a human behind each and every True. one of those. Yeah. They could be rushing. It bots. is a number. So. <laughs> <laughs> so on to the discussion. This is this is one of those talks where the entire point of your channel is a personal connection to technology, a desire to see the relationship between how tech can improve or impact our lives for the Mm -hmm. positive and the possibly negative. So that's already a personal thing, but this one took a step even deeper into Mm -hmm. the personal as this is something you yourself are going to be doing. The, I'm actively doing it. Yep. The, the, the plans to build a home and looking at the various options of how to do that and wanting to do it with as much of a net zero impact as possible makes this something that, as most of the comments pointed out, people are very interested in knowing more about your experience. Mm-hmm. So some of the comments include... These like from Benjamin Davis, who wrote, totally love to follow your process into getting a low emissions home. I'm on the same path and would love to follow your process. Another one from Asmuk, who wrote, I'm so glad to have found your channel. It was like discovering a similar soul with more knowledge (laughs) on the topic of common interest. Right now, I have just bought a piece of land in Latvia and plan to build a house. I assume that Asmuk does not work in the Boston area as you and your family do, because that will be one hell of a commute. Yes, that'd be a very hard commute. But as it continues, surely I would like to hear more about your experience in the process. Here, perfect insulation and modular homes are part of the day-by-day, but still mm-hmm. have to understand fully what the options are and how to take the next steps and actually build our place. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because modular homes are a lot more, same thing with passive house, are a lot more common in Europe. And they're still kind of like, they've been here in the United States for a while. They just haven't really caught on and they're becoming a little more popular now, but it's like, I'm surprised they haven't caught on more. I think there might be a, 
misperception as to like, oh, they're not as good quality or something like that, but they're, they're actually better built than on-site stick built homes in most cases. Like when you're talking about a developer right. that comes in and builds 50 homes and just sells them off, those are built <laughs> fairly quickly, <laughs> very quickly and to standard and standard right. is usually not very good. So uh, these homes, like the one I'm looking at from unity homes, the walls are going to be basically about a foot thick and like crazy insulation and very efficient and using low emissions, everything for it. So it's like the idea that you can spend just a little bit more money, um, for a, like a passive house, you kind of, you are, I am going to be paying more for a modular home than I would for a stick built house b- b- built as standard. But if I'm trying to build a stick built house, that's passive home standard going modular is cheaper. So it's like, it's, it's still a pricey, um, endeavor. I actually had somebody reach out to me and say that they were looking into doing this in their area and they were finding $800 per square foot, which made me almost fall out of my chair. Cause that's just insane that it could cost $800 a square foot when a typical house might cost you a hundred. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's insane. Um, yeah, that would yeah. be, you'd be quickly entering, I mean, for a house that would not be that big, a thousand no. square foot home, you're getting close to a million dollar home there. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it's, it also depends heavily on where you live. So like in Latvia, I'm sure he's going to have a lot more options that are even more affordable than what are to me because I live in the Boston area, which is just the, where I live, things are just expensive. So modular homes, like where our parents lived would probably be cheaper than what I'll be paying. So it's like, it's all relative, but, um, that's part of what makes these videos difficult. Cause when I, when we talk about money, it's like, yeah, this is going to save you a lot of money and it will only cost you $500,000. People are like, what? That's not yeah. cheap. <laughs> it's like, well, maybe in your area, it might be $150,000. It's like, it depends on where you live and labor rates and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's tough to kind of make universal, but I'm going to try to go into more depth of, not cost, but more of like why you would choose to do one thing over another as far as the technologies. Um, I am planning more videos as I go into this and I'm hoping to be able to do interviews with the company I'm working with, maybe even get a tour of the facility. I would love to be able to film my actual house getting built in the factory. That would be <laughs> really cool. <laughs> yeah, that would um, be neat. Yeah, but we'll see. That touches on a couple of the other questions that I noticed in the comments, like this one from Zippy the Happy Chimp. And Zippy, I'm really glad to hear that you've gotten over that depressive period that you had. Um, Zippy writes, buy local, quote, buy local to save shipping costs, and quote, home prices are tied to the local median. There are going to be breakpoints where it ends up cheaper to buy a, for example purposes only, West Virginia home and ship it to New York as compared to buying a New York home. His then next comment is, of course, having a West Virginia manufacturer meet New York codes might be another snag. Yep. I wondered if you are aware of how vast are the different codes from state to state and do you have those options for you? Are you potentially working with a company that might be looking at something being built in Pennsylvania or Ohio and that being a better option than something built for you in Massachusetts. The company I'm talking to is in New Hampshire. Um, there seems to be for some reason in my, in New England, Maine, New Hampshire and Vermont seem to have a ton of modular home companies. 
uh, more than in Massachusetts itself. So the companies I've been talking to are in New Hampshire. So there's, but they're all based on the same building standards and codes. So they build stuff for here in Massachusetts all the time. So there's no disconnect there, but there would be, if I was going to go down South, like into South Carolina or something like that, there is going to be a, a difference in code and requirements, um, different electrical codes, different standards as far as how the houses are built for like insulation levels. So it's like, yeah. they're definitely the further you get away from where you currently are in your climate, especially yeah, codes shift and change. So that could be a, a big issue. And this comment from John Hollowell also stood out, which is John wrote, so I understand that the construction garbage is significantly less at the final location, but isn't the remainder of the waste just abstracted away and still exists at the initial construction facility? No. I imagine there is some amount of repurposing scrap material from one house to another at the facility, but I don't think it's completely eliminated. It's not so, completely eliminated, but it's it's far more efficient because you think, think about it this way. They're building numerous houses in sequence and they if you're if you're cutting up wood they're doing all this in a cad program and so they know exactly what parts they have to build what sizes and shapes they need and they can figure out okay we're going to be cutting timber in these lengths which means we're going to have these lengths left over and our next project needs lengths that are would fit within that so they can plan and reuse it's not scrap per se but it's like they can be very efficient in how they're cutting their wood and how they're using everything down to the inch so it's like right. it's it's literally just less scrap there's less right. stuff to toss um in the manufacturing process where it's stick built on site there's gonna be a lot of waste um right so it's the 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 example you're talking about would be okay we're making 10 houses this week so we know that we need a thousand pieces of wood this length and when you cut all of the supplies that we've brought in we're going to end up with so many pounds of excess at the end because we will have perfectly put every cut into all of those pieces of lumber as opposed to the on-site location where every site is on its own cutting things to the right length Correct. and may end up with twice or three times as much of the scrap at the end Correct. because you have multiple sites all cutting to specific lengths and ending up with scrap that they may or may not actually return to some place to be reused later. Exactly. Okay. Yep. So it is, I like John's uh, framing of it as, as the waste is abstracted away. Yeah. I think that yep. that is an interesting measure of, of how to envision what is happening because effectively this is still construction. You are just mm -hmm. not seeing it being done on the site. It mm -hmm. is still the, the, if there are hazardous materials being used in home construction, those likely could still exist in you know, insulations and things like that that might be uh, done in a facility as opposed to on site. That's another way that you're avoiding impacting the immediate environment of less exposure in the environment to things from Mm -hmm. When they're using saws, when they're using drills, those things just going into the air and blowing wherever. Here in in the city, uh, we've had a in my immediate neighborhood an incredible amount of construction, and every few weeks for the past couple of years, during the spring and summer, it seems like that's when the weather turns nice enough that these construction sites are able to say, "Now we can do the 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 stucco exterior." 
which is basically paint mixed with little foam pellets. That's what gives it the texture. Mm -hmm. And it gets sprayed onto the exterior of some of these buildings. And some of those foam pellets inevitably blow away. Mm -hmm. They'll open it's it's obvious somebody somewhere is opening a container that is basically then they're mixing these two things together and some of the foam just blows away and we get around the neighborhood what looks like suddenly springtime and summertime snow and it's just foam pellets and when you think about like well that's that's not good that's no who knows how much foam is just blowing around the neighborhood and around the city and that's just not only is it waste it's it's just pollution. Yeah. So modular construction in a contained environment, like a construction facility, is going to help limit stuff like that. And that's exactly. whether or not you end up with more or less scrap, that alone is a good argument for using modular homes, I think. Yes. It's everything. It's, it's a really good point. Everything's self-contained in the construction so that you can have better control over everything. I was curious as I was watching this, how are some of the details that you found in your research impacting and informing your own decision-making around your own home? Um, That's a good question. It's originally, I thought I was going to be going like a purely modular built home where um, uh, they would actually just be delivering sections and then they lock the sections together set it up and literally the house on site it within five to seven days there's like no house there and then suddenly there's a complete house i was looking at that initially um but there were some things about the way the houses are constructed that gave us some restrictions as to what we could do in certain cases and so we started drifting more towards another company called unity which does panelized modular homes where it's it's still being built on site, but they're delivering an entire wall with the windows and everything already in it. And then they're basically putting those together, putting the roof on, and then they finish the inside of the house on site where a lot of modular houses, when they're delivered, even the insides are done. So like the flooring's already in, the kitchen counters are, all, the kitchen you know, cabinets already in. This is not going to be that. And the reason we kind of drifted that direction was for us, it was giving us the design choices. The changes we can make are a little more fit our style of what we're looking for than the modular homes. Uh, just because of the way they have to be transported restricts kind of some of the things you can do. Because okay. you're literally putting these things on a you know a wide load trailer kind of a thing and all like yeah. across state lines where a, a panelized home, it's like literally going to be a stack of walls <laughs> and roofs and right. eaves and things like that that get put on a truck and then it's like getting a gingerbread house kit correct yeah yeah so it's it's, does it come with frosting i wish it did yeah that would be delicious delicious icing it'd be a lot of icing (laughs) it would be a lot of icing but it's worth it yeah so before we tune off for this slightly abbreviated episode simply because this is a holiday weekend and matt and i will be for the first time, I just realized this morning, uh, Matt and I are going to be seeing each other this weekend. It's going to be a little uh, family trip for for my family. We're going up to Massachusetts from New York. It's going to be the first time that Matt and I are going to see each other face to face in 10 months? 18 months. 
No, it hasn't been that long. Cause you remember you guys did stop here. We had a backyard. How oh, like do? nine months ago. Or something it's been like, like nine or 10 months. Yeah. yeah. It's been long enough that I can't even remember that we did that. So, yeah. and we, we stayed six feet apart. <laughs> yeah. It was a different era. Yes. Thankfully it was a different era. Vaccines <laughs> all around. But yep. before we, we sign off on this episode, I wanted to very briefly uh, bring up some news out of Canada that came across the wire a couple of days ago. And it was that Canada has decided to ban internal combustion engines by 2035. And Matt, you've talked about this potential ban in other areas. And I wanted to get your thoughts about what you think about this. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited by this. It's also just one of those <laughs> makes me welcome to America. It's like, we're doing nothing. And it's like every other country in the civilized world, like everything from China to most European countries to Canada are all basically saying we're phasing out. We're set a deadline that you got to get out. And here's the United States free market. will figure it out. And so it's, it's, it's a little frustrating and embarrassing, but, um, Canada already had set a deadline. They've moved it up, which is just, right. it's awesome that they're doing this. It gets me very excited, but on the flip side, I'm a little torn because it's like, at this point, I don't think it matters if the United States does it or not, because there are, like I said, China, <laughs> right. biggest country in the world with most of Europe and Canada now it's, we're going to get dragged along whether we want to or not. So it's like every car company, the writing is on the wall. They have to go yeah. EV. So it's like, at this point, if we do it, it's not going to make a difference because we are following pretty much every other country that's right. already kind of setting the agenda. So I think it's, I think for me, yeah. it's, it's one of those ironies that the argument about the free market turns out to be right, but for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Rather than, rather than our political environment being one where we boldly lead in this and say, mm -hmm. here's the restrictions that we're going to put in place. We say, no, the free market will figure it out. And then the free market does figure it out because countries like China place these restrictions before we do. And the market for the ICE vehicles does finally bottom out because of governmental action in other places. And mm -hmm. It's, it's a lack of, to me, it strikes me as just a lack of, of moral fortitude to do the right thing. It's the mm -hmm. continuation of if we just bury our heads in the sand long enough and pretend that certain things aren't happening, then we don't have to do anything until capitalism fixes it. And what I do, what I do find funny about all these restrictions though, is by 2035, when most of them start by that point, electric vehicles will be demonstrably cheaper than gasoline cars. And right. so at that point, if you're a human being that's still buying a gasoline car, there's something wrong with your <laughs> the way you're thinking. Because it's like, it's going to be one of those, you either have a very specific need or you just haven't done the math. Because it's, it's by that point, it's going to make financial sense just to get an EV over pretty much anything else. Be so well, much there cheaper. were people, I'm sure, who, who were like, I'll be daggum in the ground before I buy a vehicle that's not a horse and buggy. And <laughs> sure. there will be people who will say, I am going to make sure that I'm standing by this mode of transportation because it means something to me. And for those people, um, 
I have a feeling there will be some kinds of exemptions for like classic vehicles for people who are car of aficionados and of course and there will be the ability to to uh, the cost and maintenance of these things will skyrocket. You know, if you have a 1930s Ford, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg to keep that thing in running condition because you're going to have to have specific things manufactured just for you. Eventually a 2020 gas vehicle, it will be something comparable. There will be people 50 years from now who will have a new, what is now a new car that they're trying to continue as a classic vehicle. It'll just be more expensive for them to maintain it. It's going to be vinyl records. It's like 99% of the market is all digital music it's like, but there's still that 1% of the aficionados that look like the sound of a, of a record. It's like, it's going to be the same thing. They'll be around. And I, there's no problem at that point. <laughs> it's like, yeah, have fun with your gas car. It's like, it, we're talking yeah. about, we need to get 99% of the people off of gas. And of course, the bigger issue is not just the vehicles. It's, it's all the other ways that our electricity is manufactured and, and yeah. moving away from um, use of coal and other fossil fuels burning them exclusively as the means of producing electricity yep so our listeners should let us know what they think what do you think about the modular home revolution that matt is slowly hesitantly (laughs) tiptoeing into and will you be interested in hearing more from him about his experience and also let us know are you currently in the process of doing this yourself, have you had this experience and do you have any wisdom to impart on Matt? Like they fall apart without frosting. (laughs) Let us know what you think. You can find the contact information in the podcast description. And of course on YouTube, that's in the comment section directly below this video. And now because of the quality of my camera, you can see my finger. We do have ways to support the podcast. There is, of course, subscribing. There's sharing us with your friends. There's leaving reviews and comments. And you can also visit stilltbd.fm and you'll see the support the podcast link there. You can throw some coins in our jar. We appreciate whatever kind of support you're able to give. Please be sure to give this episode a rating, a review, and share it with your friends. All of those things really do help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew has to get working on that frosting. We'll talk to you next time, everybody. Thanks so much for listening.